Hey, this is Evie Grieve. The following podcast is not affiliated with East Village Eye, the monthly magazine of popular and avant-garde culture that existed in print from May 1979 to January of 1987. However, if you'd like more information about this legendary downtown publication and for archives and exclusive merchandise, including East Village Eye t-shirts and accessories, go to eastvillageeye.com or printedmatter.org. For future episodes of this podcast with Evie Grieve, please keep an eye out for Eye on the East Village from Spotify, Apple Podcast, and jasoncharles.net podcast network talk shows. jasoncharles.net Deep talk, talk, deep deep sounds. This is the East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net Hi, this is Evie Creeve and you're listening to the East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net we are here today at the La Mama Experimental Theater Club in the Archive, and we are speaking with Mia Yu, the Artistic Director, and Mikhail Jamili, the Series Director for the Coffeehouse Chronicles, which is part of the La Mama venue here. Thank you for inviting us inside today. This is uh, very exciting. Thank you for being here. We love having guests. Oh, <laughs> yes, we feel very welcome. We have a special table here for uh, all our equipment, and we have the door closed. So we're uh, all by ourselves in here. So La Mama, when we talk about La Mama and in the East Village, you know, it's really one of those crown jewels of the neighborhood, quite frankly. When you talk about the neighborhood's history and in places within the neighborhood, you know, the St. Mark's Church and the Bowery and, you know, whether it's a business like McSorley's, you know, been here since, you know, 1412 or whatever year it was. And, you know, La Mama always comes up in that conversation. Mia, if you want to talk a little bit about the history, because I know this started in 1961 in a, a little different part of the East Village. Yeah, La Mama started, as you said, in 1961 in a basement on East 9th Street, and it was founded by our founder, Ellen Stewart. And when I think about the beginnings of La Mama, I, I think about her really recognizing a need in, in the community that she was living in uh, for a place for artists. And artists who were non-traditional, non-commercial, they didn't have a platform anywhere else, and she befriended some of these artists at the time, Paul Foster, who was just here in one of our um, facilities, our art and technology studio just on, on Great Jones Street. Um, it was Paul Foster and one of her foster brothers, who was a playwright at the time, Freddie Lights, and um, they needed space. And so, you know, there's something about, I mean, I guess her, her spirit and her character was to, I don't know, she just had this open heart. As complicated as she was as a human being, at her core, she really loved people, and she wanted to help them. And so she used the money. She was a freelance fashion designer at the time, and she used her own money to start La Mama and to create a space where these uh, playwrights at that time, for them to read their plays and to share their work. And so that idea of the underrepresented um, artists and communities and people who had a need to express themselves at this moment in history where we had the the feminist movement, the gay rights movement, the civil rights movement, and sort of anti-war sentiment. 
out of that time was when La Mama got started and these artists had this need to express themselves and and there we go that's how the mom started can you talk i'm, I'm really curious i'm this, starting this basement venue i mean what what did that look like i mean how many seats was this like something with like 10 or 12 seats or what i, you describe I mean I, I think it was a small basement room okay. you know and it was an actual um, basement it was an actual basement on east 9th street and um at one point, uh, you know, there's so many stories about the beginnings of La Mama, but I think um, there was a bed and artists found a way to sort of make that bed come alive um, in many different ways. <laughs> so the bed became, yes, the, a real life bed or it became a chair in a park or it became, you know, maybe the table uh, in a kitchen. But it it, um, it really was a, a small space and La Mama expanded because she didn't have the proper jurisdiction or, or she didn't have the right to run a performance venue. And so she went from space to space when the authorities came hmm. um, and people, I mean, she was she was doing something that nobody else was doing at the time. I mean, yes, I guess there were there was a community here with Cafe Chino and Judson Church right. and all all these sort of pioneering organizations that started the off off Broadway movement. But yeah, so La Mama moved from space to space, and finally we arrived here on Fourth Street in 1968 or 9, I think. And uh, that became our first permanent home um, at 74 East 4th Street. And today there are four theaters and an art gallery of this this archive. There are rehearsal spaces, bowling alley, I Mm -hmm. think. Dormitory. Uh, Dormitory. I was kidding about the bowling alley. (laughs) We could try to start that as well. (laughs) Um, I wanted to do sort of a ping pong gallery or something. Yeah, I like that. Um, So you've really, uh, obviously, 4th Street, between Second Avenue and the Bowery is really, I mean, there are other organizations and, and, and theaters on this block, but it's really like this La Mama block, quite frankly. It's called Ellen Stewart Way. Well, right. Yeah. Right. And Honor mm-hmm. Bellin, of course. And again, it, La Mama has grown into the, the premier off-off Broadway venue in New York City. And I think that's, you know, been been well established and well, um, you know, well regarded. And can you just talk a little bit about the evolution? I mean, you, you talked about Ellen's spirit and, you know, starting in the basement and you're coming here. I mean, has that sort of non-traditional, non-commercial production? I mean, that seems that spirit is still alive with this, you know, all these years later. Um, de- I mean, uh, people ask me, oh, so what's changed about La Mama? And, and I think things have changed because times change. But in terms of at the core and our ethos and our mission, it stays the same because it's a it's a vision that is necessary and is universal and timeless. And so, yeah, we're we're sticking to it and and creating that platform for experimental work, for voices that um, need to be heard, for having as many people at the table as possible when we're thinking about art, aesthetics, and and social and political issues. That's sort of what we want to continue here at La Mama. Does the East Village, I mean, what role does the neighborhood serve as? Is it considered, a, you consider like a supporting character, or could you talk a little bit about your relationship with the neighborhood? Well, um, as you mentioned, this block is now the fourth arts block. And in 2005, Mayor Bloomberg, at the, you know, our mayor at the time, gave every cultural organization their building for a dollar. And at that time, he deemed it the first naturally occurring or the only naturally occurring cultural district in Manhattan. And so, yeah, I mean, I feel like Ellen and La Mama 
we were the beginnings of bringing in artists and organizations and companies onto the block and, and really thriving. Ellen was very connected to the neighborhood. You know, when she opened La Mama, she would just open La Mama, but she was not even the artistic director. So she was to stand outside with a broom. And she had this relationship with all the neighbors. Um, she used to walk with the dog. She used to talk to everybody. everybody I remember everybody used to know her. Right. So it really felt like home. There was not like a theater in the neighborhood. Right. It was really um, emerging one in each other. I love that story. I thought when you said the broom, I thought she was like trying to get people to come in. She mm. used to. Oh. She used to. Sometimes there was no people. She used okay. to sit outside she and got, to get, yeah, to ask people to go people. inside. Yeah. There's some very known stories about it. The guy from San Francisco that became after uh, the Tuxedo Moon. Mm-hmm. You know, the Tuxedo Moon, they, yes. they were working, but he came here as an artist and there was no people at all. And she was sitting with the broom and forced people. And then <laughs> the next day, I think they got like the best review and it was packed. But, and she also sort yeah. of knew the people yeah. on the block, in the neighborhood, right. and, you know, the young teenagers got jobs here, you know. Um, right. She knew the corner deli, the Greek diner that was on Fifth Street. I mean, she had these sort of close relations with the people here in this neighborhood, which, I mean, this neighborhood was really important to her. Right. And so for us to sort of keep that going with our community programs and with bringing people from the neighborhood into the theater, right. connecting to our global communities, because at some point she realized that that connection or that artistic cultural exchange that could happen when you bring artists from abroad or when you go abroad was really essential to um, kind of creating someone's identity and, and their artistic vision. And so that connection between our local and global communities became really important to her. I, I'm like, obviously we'll, we'll talk a lot more about Ellen. Well, I know there's a hundredth anniversary of her, her birthdays coming up next year. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I, I'm curious if both of you could just share a little bit about how you came in to the Mama family, because you both have been here for many, for many years and, and, and part of the and, and important part of La Mama here. So if you want to just share a little bit about how you, how you came to be with La Mama. I'm Israeli originally. I grew up in Israel and I studied theater. And I was in high school and um, La Mama came back on 1979 with the Trojan Women to the Jerusalem Festival, to the Israeli Mm -hmm. Big Festival. And it was done in the old city of Jerusalem. And and it changed my life, (laughs) of course. And this is the reason I'm here. And then I went to meet her the same day. So I really wanted to come. I graduated from school and I tried to come and I didn't get a visa. Mm. <laughs> so I met her in uh, Paris. She came with a show with Aladdin. And, um, but I couldn't come here. And then she came again to Israel in 85. And I met her over there in Jerusalem again. And back in 88, I, I came here for the first time. But I didn't stay. And um, moved to LA and I came back in 95 and... Um, and this was it. <laughs> how, how was when, when you'd meet with her? How was she? She's very nurturing, encouraging. How would you describe her uh, when, in in relation to you know you having this dream of being part of this? When you meet Ellen for the first time, it's always good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you can't just to fall into her because she's so charming. She's so um, she's bigger than life. She looks so like down to earth and at the same time so big and bigger than life. And this is why everybody I think fall for her. Um, then it's a different story. But um, she's very, I think she's one of a kind. And you have really, she gives you the feeling, she just said, baby, come. 
So, and I guess she said to everybody all over the world, she mm. meets them and she said, just come. And you really think that maybe, maybe actually it can really happen right. or something big is going to happen. But she really, when you come here, she really tried to help. Mm. And a lot of people means, means I come from Israel, but there's people that came from all over the world. And she did a lot of things, which is kind of unlegal. She gave you a work, place to stay. She gave you kind of a work mm -hmm. that nobody else will going to hire you. She's very original. Yeah, she's, a, she's an ordinary, so it's for good and bad. Mm -hmm. But first of all, there's something so big and warm about her that, um, that you feel like when you meet her, you feel like you come home. I mean, I think you have a family connection to La Mama. Yeah, um, I, I come from three generations of, of people in the theater. My grandfather was a playwright and my father is a director and now an arts administrator. And, you know, in terms of in Ellen's travels all over the world, at one point she arrived in Korea. And my father is Korean, my mother is Russian Jewish American, so I have this sort of mixed ethnic identity. And she met my father, because at the time she had a lot of connections with the Rockefeller Foundation, and he got a Rockefeller grant to come to the United States to study. And so she met him and, yeah, that connection was um, something that's a little hard to describe in words. And maybe a lot of people felt that about their sort of relationship with Ellen. And he did work here. He was a director here. He created his um, productions and his, I think, developed much of his vision here. And when I graduated from college, because she was sort of this figure in my in my youth of somebody who was coming to Korea and she was at our house and she, yeah, she, as, as Michal was describing, she was this force of nature. You know, you couldn't help but sort of be intrigued and be sucked into her energy and, and who she was. And when I graduated from college, she, she knew I didn't know what I would want to do, you know, where I would want to go or who I wanted to be. And she invited me to the artist residency that she had developed in, in Umbria in Italy. And um, that changed my life. Excellent. I'm Eva Grieve, and you're listening to These Village Eye on Jason Charles. Net. And we are here at the La Mama Experimental Theater Club for this episode. And we're speaking with its artistic director, Mia Yu, and Mikau Jamili, the uh, series director for Coffee House Chronicles. And we have been talking about Ellen Stewart, the founder of La Mama, whose presence uh, still is, is alive and her spirit is still in, in La Mama. Mia, I know that she handpicked you, in a sense, to sort of help kind of lead La Mama into the future. What was your reaction when that you knew that you're going to be, you know, carrying on La Mama in in her footsteps? Um, goodness, um, <laughs> I don't know if I ever really thought that this was my the direction of my life when I was working closely with her since probably the mid to late '90s was when I started working with her a lot and and sort of being her assistant as well as um, helping administratively in the office and in La Mama Umbria in Italy. In 2009, when she was getting sicker, God only knows if, it, I, I'm, I'm imagining this was something that she had been thinking about, um, and she announced it, I, I think I ran out of the room. Because, <laughs> um, and I, I couldn't imagine a world or La Mama without without Ellen. And, and for me, you know, I, I, I think about it as, uh, I, I don't feel alone. I feel I'm connected to a community. I feel like there are a lot of people holding up La Mama. 
as Ellen said to one of us here at La Mama, you know, uh, how do we do it? You stumble and bumble as you go, as I did, you know, and, and that's something that I've kind of held on to in terms of figuring out sort of how we continue and how we overcome our challenges and in sort of strategic planning for the future and all of that. It, it's, I, I'm, I feel very fortunate because I, I, I think that there's a bunch of us here and, and La Mama is much bigger than one person now. And there are m- many people involved. But you have to say that she had a very strong instincts. So it was not um, out of nowhere. Mm. She had a good feeling about people most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> But it was strong. She could really feel and sense someone. And mm. she knew what they can do. And how the future maybe can look like for them. So um, like from day one, she adapted you. Because she said she used to introduce you all the time as my granddaughter. In a way, she adapted everyone because, you know, it says she called them babies and it was La Mama as well. So it's kind of a mama. But um, she said all the time that you are the granddaughter. She never introduced you differently. You know, looking back 2011, when you were sort of officially, you know, taking over and a few years later, is there something you'd tell if you could go back in time, 2011, and tell yourself something that you know today about La Mama? Is there, what would that be? <laughs> well... <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be spending so much of my time fundraising, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, I think um, flexibility and adaptability is something that I've realized is such an um, essential part of how I need to sort of function and be in the world, you know, as, a, as an administrator, but as a human being. And so it's like this mixture of, of that ad- adaptability and openness that really will help me see sort of the future and or what needs to happen or it'll just reveal itself to me and and that's kind of how I've thought about one of the big ways that I think about my role here you know and and how I manage I want to spend a little time because there's always a lot going on at La Mama I mean that in a very positive way there's so many productions um, so much quality So many things that one can do here, in particular the Coffee House Chronicles. I'm re- reading off this piece of paper so I can remember the educational performance series that explores mm-hmm. the history of off off Broadway. Could you talk a little bit about the Coffee House Chronicles because I know that this season just ended, and you're obviously probably preparing for uh, for the fall right actually um I'm doing the Coffee House only for the last six years, but okay. Ellen founded it with Chris Cap. I think back in 2005. And Michael Arian and Michael was Arian, very right, much yeah. involved yeah. as well as Augusto Machado. And, yeah. Yeah. and it was um, about um, just to remain the, the history and, um, of the people that started the, the history of, of, of Broadway. Um, so it was a little bit different in the, fila- in the, in the first few years. And then Chris um, retired and I took um, and, um, and I got into this um, title. And I, think that I thought that it can really... We can make it a little bit bigger. And um, basically, it's the oral history of, of, of Broadway. And um, it's happened once a month. And it's, uh, each time we pick someone else, it started from 1961. Some of them are dead. Some of them are alive. <laughs> But you basically deal with people that are um, at the last part of the, the final stage of their life, which is, um, which is not always easy. But not everybody has been in the final stage of their no, lives. No, but since I started doing it, um, like seven people passed away after mm-hmm. we did Coffee House about them. And, um, and all of those people, is people that, for me at least, I don't know, even some of them that I didn't know and then some of them that I know. I mean, in a way, it's like when you're doing a show, you really fall, you fall in love with them. 
or is it turned to be part of your life because you're getting into people's life. It's like for six weeks that you work on something, you start doing the research and you're picking up the people. And it's all about, for me, it's all about faith mm-hmm. in the other people because I just pick up the subject and then the other people and it's all coming together, yeah? We start working together. And it's a very laid back kind of event. But the people, I think, that usually participate, the people that are really having a lot of mm-hmm. knowledge and um, they can talk and ask. But for me, the most important is to keep it very laid back. Mm-hmm. And the... Um, the sense that the relationship between the audience and the people on stage is the most important. I think this is what's created actually the coffee house. We have, I think, the best audience and they're really taking a part of what's in what's happening. It's still, it's like a show, yeah, but here there's much more involvement because it's a live thing right. and it's only open once. Right. And there's a lot of, um, it's a lot of stories. And I think the stories are the most important. And a lot of love. (laughs) Yes, yes, yeah. What are you looking for uh, in the fall? I understand that you'll be doing a a series focused on women? Next year, because it's Ellen 100 anniversary. And every year I said that I'm going to do more women. And I don't. And it's again another, even though it's a theater and everything, there's still more men than women. So I decided that next year is going to be dedicated only to women or whoever identified as women as well. Yeah, and we're going to do probably um, Lola Pashelinski. She used to work with um, the Ridiculous Theater with uh, Charles Ladlam. And um, probably Morgan Jeunesse, who is a dramaturg and a very and, um, theater person, not an actress, a director, but she has a very strong role. And then on December, La Mama going to revive the Trojan women but with also cast from, I mean, there's a big project and me, I can talk about it later, that they teach in the, proje- uh, the Trojan women in Cambodia and in um, Guatemala. So it's gonna be a kind of, um, I don't know you. A newly imagined yeah, yeah. version. So we're gonna do only coffee house about the women of Trojan women without the men. And then probably Meredith Monk in the spring and um, Penny Arcade. Of course, oh, yes. and Penny Arcade, and it's going to be moderated by Sarah Schulman. Okay. Yeah. Wow. This, yeah, this is for next year. So we almost closed, and maybe <laughs> Anne Bogard. Wow, you have, you have like the whole next season already, like pretty much. Uh, because I, out. when <laughs> you decided it's going to be women, <laughs> yes, it was much easier. One thing I wanted to bring up: uh, I have a blog, evgrieve.com, and we cover a lot of real estate on the site. And you know, anytime you see a sidewalk bridge or some scaffolding go up outside a building, people are like, "Oh, it's probably going to be a condo next." Um, right here on the block uh, at 74 East 4th Street, uh, that has happened. And I, luckily, this is one of those very happy, positive development stories that we like to share. Could you talk a little, just a little bit about what's uh, going on at number 74? Well, we're actually, we're in the midst of a capital campaign for all of our facilities. All of our buildings, we have 88,000 square feet. So that's another testament to Ellen's mm. sort of genius and and vision and force and all our buildings are from the late 1800s you know as much of a genius as she was she didn't really focus on the facilities they you know she really focused on the artists and the art which probably is why la mama has survived um close to 58 years now but um the facilities need a lot of help and in our 50th anniversary when um i was really thinking about sort of our future and how do we continue and, you know, these spaces and the need for these spaces to remain as a place for artists. 
and that they wouldn't be developed into condominiums or, or something else which could easily happen in right. this neighborhood. There's something about uh, a focus that we need to um, put on, on, on the future of these buildings. And so we, we embarked on a capital campaign project, and the first phase of that project is our original building, 74 East okay. 4th Street. What's the timeline on that? For that building, we are hoping to open in the 2021 season. Okay, excellent. Something else to look forward to at La Mama. You know, again, we have a lot of valuable real estate here. I mean, as you're looking down the road, do you always envision that La Mama will be part of East Village? I do. <laughs> I can't imagine it being in another neighborhood. But the beauty of La Mama is that I, I feel like we are grounded in this really rich place that is the East Village and in Manhattan and in New York City. But beyond that, we're also connected to a huge community of artists and folks that aren't living in the East Village. And that there is this network of local and global artists that we're intricately tied to. And that's something that we're, as we're thinking about our facilities and the future and what La Mama is thinking about, being able to connect to those global communities is, um, and, and going outside of the walls of, of our theaters and our facilities is, is something that, whether it's through touring or through connections that we can make through these digital technologies that we have available to us now, and something that Ellen was doing in an analog time of reaching out and traveling to these places all over the world and then bringing those artists back or vice versa, bringing the artists from here out. I mean, this is something that we can do in, in a much more sustainable but also in a new way. And um, nothing's going to take the place of me being able to be in the room with Michal and, 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 you know, having this kind of connection that's live. But there's something else that um, we can create sort of with, with, um, with digital technologies now available to us. So that's something also that we're focusing a lot as, as we reimagine our buildings. It didn't take Ellen a long time to move beyond the East Village and to be all over the world right. and to go to places that nobody ever went and to bring people. Because I came from Israel, yeah? And I'm talking about like the 70s. But then there's people that she brought from Asia, from places that nobody ever went, from the Middle East, from Arab countries, from Europe, from, from South America. She was traveling all over. And she really, she was talking all the time about one global world, one world that now it sounds so um, so obvious for us. And this is like the new world right now. But things, I don't even know how she was conscious to it. But she, I guess with the things that she did, the thing come, like the, the theme came. Yeah, but it was all about one world. About, she used to say the, how, the, the, the you know, theater of the world and um, the is, the, uh, the, the is, is, is the was what? and the was is the is. is yeah. <laughs> and she really, she really lived like that. Yeah, that we were all interconnected. Yes, of course. Right. And yeah. also, this is why Coffee House also yeah, is a gem, I think, in that sense, because it's really the history. And it's not just people. F in every year, we always have like one group or one um, director from out of the country. We, we did 100th anniversary for uh, the death of Cantor. She was the first one who brought him here to New York. Uh, this year we did uh, another Polish one with Katsi and we tried to work with so many other um, like organization because she was really connected to so many other. I mean, in me, in terms of the coffee house, 
I really wish that it will go farther because there's no, um, it's really a gem. It's, um, I, for me all the time, I keep on thinking like, the, like in the actor studio, that one day, right. like uh, any kind of TV channel will take it and it will be like um, broadcast live. Or even more that it will be part of um, the curriculum of the universities. Because, you know, you come to an event which is um, live performances and archival material and a panel discussion. What else? And also, next year, we mentioned this a little earlier in the, in the podcast, that next year will be the 100th, her 100th birthday. And obviously, there's probably been quite a, quite a lot of things associated with that. I, I don't know if there's like one or two things you could share that might you know already that, that you want to talk about. Sure. Um, yeah, we're really excited about next season. It is, um, we're really hoping to celebrate and think about sort of Ellen's vision. I mean, yes, she's, she would be 100 years old, but beyond that, it's sort of that open door policy, that idea of the one world that we want to embrace. And, and so we've got a few different projects in the, in the mix. And one of them, as Michal mentioned, is the Trojan Women Project. It was one of our landmark productions that happened in 1974 with our Great Jones Repertory Company. It was directed by Andre Serban, and um, the music was composed by Elizabeth Suedos. And this Trojan Women project has gone out, as I was talking about, going out beyond the walls of, of the theater. They've um, sort of gone out to existing or post-conflict zones around the world, including Guatemala, Cambodia, and Kosovo. And they've used the Trojan women as a tool to create dialogue, to bring communities together. And so those artists that they've worked with in these three different regions are going to come here and they're going to work with our Great Jones Repertory Company. And Andre has agreed to direct it. And so we're, we're going to see sort of this new version of the Trojan women, which is quite exciting. And another sort of Lynch or a tentpole production that we have um, going on, um, which also includes Elizabeth Suedos, which seems really appropriate for our 100th, you know, Who celebration. Passed, she passed away three years ago. Yeah, yeah. Her Beautiful Lady, and it's going to be directed by Anne Bogart. It was a piece that she created with Paul Schmidt in the 80s, and it's never been seen in New York before. And so we're, we're sort of in anticipation of what that's going to look like. Well, excellent. I encourage people who are listening or live in the neighborhood or may not live in the neighborhood to, to come to La Mama. I know that, you know, when we talk about East Village, obviously a lot of changes, beloved businesses that go out, new condominiums seem to go up all the time. But, you know, when you talk about what do we love about this neighborhood and those things that, that, that we hold special and like La Mama is, is definitely one of those, uh, one of those institutions here. I, I think it's a, a good word for it. So I thank you for sharing some of uh, the story here today. And uh, we're looking forward uh, to more next year. And if you'd like to find out everything that's going on here, because there is always a lot of quality productions and, and discussions, and there's a gallery, and there's so many more things that we didn't really get an opportunity to talk about, visit lamama.org. And there's more programs. There's kids program yes. that's happening also, like I think every twice a year, uh, twice a, a month on Saturday morning. So a lot of the kids from the neighborhood are um, involved in the avium, like workshop with um, artists that do work well, um, shows here. And they have the gallery on Great Jones, yes. too. So there's, and 50 to 60, if not more, productions a season. Yeah. That's, that's something. I was reading earlier, I said they, they saw the total, I think, of the number of, you know, La Mama's like 5,000 productions. I'm like, wow, that's just this year, because it, it seems like you do a lot, and I mean that in a, in, you know, in a, in a very uh, complimentary way. There's, you know, the productions here I've seen are always... Uh, 
of the highest quality and interesting and challenging. So it's just a chance that you take, but it's important to yes. do. And it's imp also cheap. <laughs> 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 yes. The coffee, for example, till yes. this year was free. We just used to um, right. to um, to pass, pass the, the hat. hat. But right. also now, because we couldn't afford it anymore, it's five or ten dollars, and shows are like twenty dollars. Right. And there are ten ten dollar tickets for available for every performance. Yes. That's good to know because you know, entertainment in the neighborhood. Going to the last movie ticket I bought, I think was like nineteen fifty. I'm mm, like, wait, wait, goodness. when did right. that happen? I know. So, <laughs> thank you to Mia Yu, the artistic director, and Mikao Jamili, the series director for the Coffee House Chronicles at La Mama. Awesome. So, thank you very much. This is Evie Grieve, and this is the Spillageye on JasonCharles.net. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to The East Village Eye on jasoncharles.net. The previous podcast is not affiliated with East Village Eye, the monthly magazine of popular and avant-garde culture that existed in print from May 1979 to January of 1987. However, if you'd like more information about this legendary downtown publication and for archives and exclusive merchandise, including East Village Eye t-shirts and accessories, go to eastvillageeye.com or printedmatter.org. To continue to follow the podcast with E.B. Grieve, please keep an eye out for Eye on the East Village from Spotify, Apple Podcast, and jasoncharles.net podcast network talk shows. JasonCharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.